the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. I want to welcome all of you to our Let Us Reason Also podcast. This is Al Fadi, and of course, this is our Let Us Reason usual live stream. With me here in studio is our dear brother, Jay Smith. Jay, welcome back. And uh, it's been really a while since we did one of those. Well, I think it was about eight or months or nine months ago that we did our last live stream together. Right. Uh, here in uh, That's the correct. studio. But we've That's done correct. some uh, on Zoom uh, and on That's correct. from your home and my home on the other opposite sides of the continent. That's correct. So, um, Jay, why don't you give people an idea about why uh, are you here this time and what is it that we're doing by way of a, a video series? Okay, it's been. Uh, if you take a look at these books that I have uh, here in front of us, it's all to do with these books. These are seven. Actually, there's eight there if you look at the blue one at the top. But those are eight different Arab Qurans. Not one of them is exactly alike. And we've always heard that there is only one Quran, and this is what you've grown up with, is it not? That's correct. That's correct. And that's when something that every Muslim, I've been doing this for almost 40 years, I've only ever heard that there is only one Quran that is completely preserved, that it's guarded uh, by Allah himself in chapter 15, verse 9. It says that. And so any Muslim who's grown up in the Muslim world, as they would have, they would have come up with that narrative. That's the only narrative we have. That's the only narrative that we as Christians and also secularists, of those of us who have gotten it or received it from the Muslims, that's the only ever narrative that we've ever been taught. And so we've always assumed that this is that Quran. This is it, the blue one, the little blue one here that I have here. This is known as the Hafs Quran. Well, there was a famous interview, or, or I might say disastrous interview, that happened about two and a half months ago on June 8th of this year, 2020, where Mohammed Hijab, he's from England, uh, he is, used to come down to Speaker's Corner all the time. Uh, he, I've known him, we've engaged back and forth for quite a few years when I was there at Speaker's Corner. And he was in the crowd back in 2016 when Hatun Tash, my colleague, who had gone around the Arab-speaking world to different countries. She didn't do it on her own. She had people that did it for her and started collecting Arabic Qurans that differed. And um, what these, do we mean by differ? Because uh, there are some Muslims here uh, that uh, they have some compliments to you and I. They think we're clowns. So why don't we let them know what is the difference between these uh, Qurans? Yeah, these are known as Qirat or Ahruf, that these are... The, uh, differences that, uh, that have to do with dots and vowels. Right. So five dots, three vowels. 
And the five dots did not exist when the Quran supposedly, or they were going to refute that in just a month or two, uh, that the Quran existed at the time of the 7th century. When, they, when it was introduced in the Arabic at that time, the Arabic did, could not accommodate reading it because it did not have distinctions between many of the letters. And as you know, there were only about 16 letters at that time. Uh, they, they needed to find some type of way to distinguish between the letters, and so they had That's to right. introduce these dots. Somewhere in the early 8th century, late 8th century, then they were canonized by the 9th century. Three more vowels were then added to that. That's the Dhamma, the Qasr, and the Fatah. And by that time, then, they had all kinds of different Muslims between, and I, I want to talk about the 8th to 10th century. So between the 8th and 10th century, between 736 and 905. That's the dates we're looking at. Between 736 and 905, you had about 30 different Qurans that were chosen, all of them differing because of where they placed these dots and where they placed these vowels. That's wonderful. And again, I want to welcome, of course, uh, those of you who are uh, watching our live stream, Let Us Reason, and also our podcast, Let Us Reason. I see some of you uh, saying that there was notification from YouTube. You probably missed my introduction. We tried to announce this, uh, the proper channel, but didn't work. So we wanted to go live anyway. Hopefully, you guys can Mark on your calendar that today we'll be back again live at 5 p.m. New York Times. So, Jay, what is the Islamic presupposition when it comes to the issue of the preservation of the Quran, the Qiraat, and so on and so yeah. forth? Well, Muslims today are kind of hang-tied. They, don't really, they, they can't go right or left on this because the difficulty concerns the Quran itself. In the Quran, in this book, let's just use this one here since this is the one that is the official Quran today. This is the Hafs text. When you look at chapter 85, verse 22, it's very clear that the Quran is eternally preserved on these tablets that exist in heaven. Therefore, it has never been created. It is the uncreated Quran. That's the first problem. And that's endemic to the Quran because it's based in on the Quranic verse. Right. Secondly, that this preserved Quran was then sent down piecemeal over a period of 22 years or 23 years between 610 and 632 to a man named Muhammad, both in Mecca and Medina, and that it cannot be changed by any human hands. That's in chapter 10, verse 15. That's in chapter 18, verse 27. Very clear. No human can change the Quran. Why can it not be changed? Because of chapter 15, verse 9, which underlines the fact that Allah guards it. Allah guards it for uh, from corruption. So he preserves it. So if you have these injunctions endemic or into, included in the Quran itself, then you can see for Muslims they have to adhere to that, they have to obey that, and so they're hang-tied by it because that means this book here has always existed. There is no um, uh, there is no human intervention. There is no human in manipulation. So that the scholars today have been saying, people like Dr. Yasser Qadi and Dr. Shabir Ali, two of the Western scholars here in North America, have said very clearly that this book is exactly the same as all the Qurans that have existed for the last 1,400 years. This is exactly the same. And what I'm saying the exact same, I'm not talking about the English translation, I'm talking about the Arabic. Mm -hmm. That the Arabic is word for word, letter for letter, not just word, but letter for letter. Some even say diacritical mark for diacritical mark, but let's throw that out for now that's because right. that's ridiculous. Certainly, word for word, letter for letter, that's what Dr. Yasser Qadi has been saying, Shabir Ali has been saying. I've known Shabir Ali since 1997. We've done six debates together. He has always made that claim that every Quran in the world is exactly the same as the Quran that was revealed to Muhammad between 610 and 632 that was canonized by Uthman in 652, 1400 years ago, 
word for word, letter for letter, the exact same, and that all the manuscripts, and that, that includes the Topkapi, the Samarkand, the Ma'il, the Petropolitanus, the Husseini manuscript, and the Sana'a manuscript, those six major manuscripts, the St. Petersburg manuscripts, the Doha manuscript, all of them are exactly the same. They used to say that they were complete. Now they've quickly pulled back from doing that, but there is no difference between those manuscripts and the Quran we have today. Now that's, because they're forced to say that, Nobody's ever checked them out on it. There's no way that we could check them out on it because nobody had taken this seriously until the last 10 years. And in the last 10 years, well, actually it started in 2002, so we're talking about the last 18 years, you had two scholars, Dr. Tahir Altukulic and Dr. Ekmel Nisanlu, both Muslim scholars, Turkish scholars, who decided to go and look at the six major manuscripts that I just referred to. And they started, to, and they wanted to look and see whether or not, first of all, that they were from the time of Uthman. Were they from the time uh, mid-7th century, 652, that Uthman was in power when he supposedly created that first Quran. They disputed that, they dispelled that pr- pretty quickly. You could see that none of these manuscripts are that early, yep. that they really got introduced in the 8th century, 9th century. But then they wanted to find out whether or not they were complete. None of them are complete at all. And then the most disturbing part is, were there differences? Were there changes? And they found that in every case there were changes, there were differences. Now that's the skeletal text. That's just the skeletal text. And I remember having this debate with Dr. Shabir Ali back in 2014, that's six years ago, when I introduced Alta Kulich and Ekmelin and Sanlu's material to them, to him, along with Dr. Dan Brubaker's material on the variants. And at that time he found skeletal variants. These are continental variants. He found about 800 of them. There right. for his doctoral thesis that he had just finished in 2014. And at that time, Shabir Ali didn't know what to do. All he could say was, well, I believe it, I entrust it because of the miracle of the number 19, the miracle of the number 19. And he talked about these set of verses versus this set of verses, you get number 19. You get these words with this word, you get 19, 19, 19. He spent 19 minutes wasting our time. And I remember getting up and asking him, what verses are you talking about? None of these manuscripts have verses. What Quran are you talking about? They're not even complete. Where is this number 19 you're referring to? He finally had to admit that it was the 1924 Huff's text, this book right here. This is the 1924 Huff's text. Now, what since then, we then found a lot of diacritical variants, and we found a lot of vowelization variants, and these are the ones that Hatun Tosh has come up with. And she did it by accident. She came upon it by just going into a store and asking for a Quran and being told that, well, which Quran do you want? Ask the which Quran are you talking about? She had no idea. Being from, from a Muslim background herself, she had never heard this before, that there was more than one Quran that you could read today in the 20th century, or now in the 21st century. And so she took whatever she could, brought it back to London, we looked at it, and we, of course, we, I knew about this because I'd been studied about it. We had been told about this back in the 1990s when I was studying under, uh, under Dr. Dudley Woodbury. And so we knew that they, of these, get I just didn't know they still existed. I thought they'd all been dumped into the Nile River back in 1924 by uh, the, the Muhammad ibn al Husseini al Haddad, when they came across and they made this a canonical text. Very, the Hafs, very basically, the Hafs, the text. <clears throat> uh, right. The other 29, I assume that they had been th- thrown into the river. So it was fascinating to find that these existed. So we found them, we got them. I, I didn't get them. Hatun got them, found them, and we took them down to Speaker's Corner in 2016, four years ago. And we held them up. That's all we had to do. We only needed to hold them up and film us holding them up four years ago, and that caused the damage right there. And uh, because there was Muhammad Hijab in the crowd looking at us, seeing what we were holding up, and calling all the Muslims to leave the corner. Leave us. Do not watch what they're showing you. Do not listen to what they were saying. He did not want them to watch us. He did not want them to hear us. That was four years ago. Well, let's now jump to June 8th this year. 
just two and a half months ago. He then comes to Yasser Qadi and asks the question. He should have asked us and should have listened to us. We were talking about it. We were showing the differences back there in 2016. So he asked Yasser Qadi this. Which one of these Qurans, which one of the Qurans is the one that was revealed to Muhammad? Which, is this, which one of these Qurans exists in heaven? Which of these Qira'at exists in heaven? Which is kind of a misnomer by, by, because Qira'at, by definition, requires dots and vowels. There were no dots and vowels in the 7th century. So you can see... He should be asking another question about that, but he wanted to know which one of these is the one from the time of Uthman. Well, here's the problem. None of them are from the time of Uthman. As we're going to find out, none of them are from the time of Muhammad. And none of them could have existed in heaven because the Kira'at, by definition, only begins to be introduced in the 8th century. That's right. Uthman is in 652, mid-7th century. And we are going to visit this in a second. Again, I want to welcome everyone who is with us here, by the way. This is the usual Let Us Reason live stream, but also it is my podcast, Let Us Reason. With me here is Dr. Jay Smith. And we're talking about the uh, what, what I love your title, uh, the Qira'at Conundrum, uh, which basically the problem with the Ahruf and Qira'at of the Quran. I want to welcome, of course, I see some of the moderators here. First and last, thank you. And Jai, first and last, and Jai, uh, please keep an eye on the side discussions about the NIV and the King James. Maybe these guys came to the wrong live stream because we're talking about the Quran, not King James, neither the NIV. <laughs> And if you are a moderator, please bump him out. I don't need this kind of distractions right now. So let us focus on what is important. So what is the presupposition you're coming from? Okay. And this is something that, I, that I'm, and I'm saying this to not just Muslims. I'm also saying this to Christians. I'm saying this to atheists. I'm saying this to humanists. I'm saying this to anybody who is interested in Islam. You've got to be careful of the presupposition you start with. Remember... We have only been told one narrative. In all of our schooling, in all of our seminary, Bible school, you name it, uh, uh, secular schools, we have been told that this book, this book, was revealed to Muhammad between 610 and 632. Where did we get that from? Where did that come from? Did the Muslims just make it up? No, they didn't just make it up. This was written by al-Buhari, who died in 870. Muhammad died in 632. 870 to 632, you're talking about 240 years after the fact. You have this reference, and it's in chapter, uh, it's in volume uh, 6, chapter, actually volume 6, book 61, but hadith number 509 and 510. And that's where Muslims have to go to to find out about the story about the creation of the Quran. So you've got to go to Al-Buhari. Which is 240 years later. 240 years later. The question I'd like to ask is, why isn't this from the time of Muhammad? That's right. If this did happen in the time, why didn't someone write it down? Why isn't the Quran itself testifying about that? Oh, that's interesting. It doesn't testify to itself. But what we do know is that every Muslim and every person that's watching us right now can only go to that reference to know how the Quran was put together. And what it says at that time uh, was that when Muhammad died, there was no Quran written down. It was a crown, but it had not been written down in 632. Not in a codex form, not in a form like you see here. It had been memorized by many of the companions at the Battle of Yamama in between 632 and 634. Seventy of these uh, who had memorized the Quran were killed, which caused the crisis. Remember, I hear Muslims saying all the time, we don't need any manuscript. We don't nothing, We need anything written down. We memorize it. No, you didn't. If 70 dying caused the crisis, so much so that Abu Bakr had to bring in Zaid ibn Thabit, the secretary of Muhammad, what do secretaries do? They write. They write down what the, their, their employer wants them to write. Zaid ibn Thabit was a secretary of Muhammad. They said, you are the one that's responsible. We've got to get this written down. But he was troubled by the request. He didn't want to do it. Because he said, why can I do something that the prophet didn't do? That's right. 
They said, nonetheless, it's a good thing to do. So he finally relented, and then he went to all the remaining uh, sahaba, those who had memorized it. He took it from them. He took it from pieces of uh, bark. He took it from bones, stones. He took it from any place he could, and he created that first Quran. He first has the first one written down. He gives that to Abu Bakr, who gives it to Umar, who gives it to his daughter Hafsa, who had been a wife of Muhammad, and she stuck it under her bed. What an idiotic thing to do. Why would you put something that is the greatest revelation in the history of mankind, the only one written down, why would you stick it under your bed? Obviously, it wasn't very important to her. So, what happens? It sits under the bed. Meanwhile, 20 years later, let's go now 20 years, and let's go now to volume 6, hadith number 510. 20 years later, we're now in 652, and Uthman is now in power, and he sends a group of Muslims from Medina and Mecca up to the north. He sends them up to Azerbaijan. And they're fighting against the Azerbaijanis. But they're fighting alongside some Muslims who come from Iraq, Kufa, and Basa, and others who come from Syria, Damascus. Damascus, exactly. And they're there fighting together. After they fight, they go to the mosque, and they suddenly hear each other reciting the Quran. And these Meccans and Medinans say, hold on a minute, that's not the Quran. You are, you are reciting something that we never <laughs> heard. And they came to blows, back and forth. So Hudaifa who is the man that's up there, he comes back down to Medina, he goes to, he goes to uh, Uthman, and this is now Al-Buhari again, volume 6, hadith number 510, and he says to, to Uthman, we've got to do something we do not want to do, we want, do not want to happen what happened uh, for the Jews and Christians. We need to make sure that we have one Quran, only one Quran, and this Quran must be in the Qureshi dialect. And you know, I'm, I'm laughing as you're saying this because I thought Shabir Ali says that Muslims never quarrel over this. <laughs> they quarreled enormously. And that's why Udaifa had uh, Uthman bring Zaid ibn Thabi out of retirement again, it's 20 years later, and asked him to go get that copy from Hafsa that's still under her bed. If they, had, if they had only made copies of it at that time, they would have not had this problem. So he has them bring that to them, and along with three others that he appoints, he says, I want you to write it in the Qureshi dialect. What's that mean? What's this Qureshi dialect? Well, that's supposedly the dialect of the tribe of Quraysh, which is the dialect of Muhammad. Okay, so this is the dialect that existed in, in the Mecca, Hijaz. In Mecca. Mecca and Medina, that central part of Arabia. Uh, primarily Mecca, at least. Okay, so yeah. it would have to be in that area. Now, if that is yeah. the case, he writes it in the Qureshi dialect. What does he do next? According to Al-Buhari, volume 6, hadith number 510, he takes all the other... Recitations. Now, Shabir Ali keeps on saying this is recitation. This is nothing more than oral recitations. And he burns them. How do you burn oral recitations? Exactly. How do you burn oral How do you burn someone's lips? You burn their tongue? <laughs> Something is written. <laughs> it has to be written down. There has to and, be parchment. And we know it has to be written because one of those who stood against uh, the, the whole process was um, uh, Ibn Mas'ud, who has his own codex. And where is he from? He is also from the same region. From he the is from area. Kufa which is just southwest of today, Baghdad. I mean, that's his reading is popular there. And then yeah. who else did we know? Ubay ibn Kaab, who's even more famous. Ubay ibn Kaab, who has 116 surahs. That's right. Not 114. Ibn Masud has either 110 to 111, depending on who you're going to listen to. Okay, they can't even agree. So you can see he's missing the cha first chapter. He's missing chapter 113, and he's missing chapter 114. So it's not the same Quran. In other words, they became popular in Kufa, and they became popular up in Damascus. If that is the case, then then you're already seeing a multiplicity of Qurans, and you can then understand why they, they had to make it into one Quran. They burned manuscripts. If you're going to burn something, they have to be manuscripts. They have to be parchment. They have to be vellum. So obviously, Qurans were then burned and destroyed by Uthman. And this is what Muslims do. Whenever something disagrees, they destroy it. Yeah, they did it in Uthman's time. They did it in the 1924 time. 
and uh, they're doing it again. They're still doing it again now. Yeah. They delete it off the internet. That's right. They have something they don't want to be there. That's right. And that's what Yasser Qadi did, and that's what uh, Mohammed Hijab did just about two weeks ago. So here we go. We're back in 652. He then makes this one final Quran. And what does he do with that one final Quran? This is the Qureshi Quran. Destroys all the other dialects, destroys all the other recitations, if you want to call them, but they're actually written text. And then he sends these out to five cities. And the five cities are Mecca, Medina, Kufa, Basra, and Damascus. So two of them are in Iraq. One is up in Damascus, and the other two are in the Hejaz. He sends a reciter with every one of them, a reader with every one of them, to make sure that nobody else writes any other dialect, just to ensure that. That's in the 7th century, right? That takes place in the 7th century. What happens in the 8th century? And here's where it really gets juicy. That's right. In the 8th century, suddenly, these new uh, Qurans start to appear. Take a look at what we have right in front of us. That's right. Different Qurat. I mean, I thought he burned everything. In fact, Islam Critique, thanks you, brother, for bringing that up. He said, you know, uh, the uh, parchment and leather would have been so expensive at the time of Uthman. Why would he burn it rather than just wash it off? Wash it off and right over top of it. Exactly. Why don't you just do that? I want you to look at this one. What's it say right there at the top? Qirat, what is it? Qirat ibn Amir. Ibn Amir. Right. What's the date that you have on the back there? The date is uh, 736. 736 A.D. When did Muhammad die? Uh, 632. So this 632. is about 100 and some, you know, after his death. Okay, so you're talking about 80, 50, 70 to 80 years after his death. Right. This then appears. This is the earliest of all the Qira'at Qur'ans. From Damascus. From Damascus. Not from Medina. Interesting. Not from Mecca. It is from Damascus. It is from the very area that, he, that Uthman had destroyed, right? And yet this is the earliest one. This, this I just got two weeks ago. You can buy these on the Internet, folks. You can buy them, get them. To prove that these exist still in the 21st century, a thousand years later, you can still use these books. You can still get them, and you can unpack them. So there's Ibn Amr, Amr, as you say it. Ibn Amr, yes. That's 736. And then we have Ibn Kathir. Let me see if I I think I have, yep, I have Ibn Kathir right here. Now, Ibn Kathir, Ibn Kathir is 738. Doesn't it say right there, Ibn Kathir? It does. Okay. And it's interesting uh, why Ibn Kathir is, uh, is uh, fascinating to me because he is from Mecca. He is from Mecca. So if there's any Quraysh dialect, this should be it, right? He should be the one who's recorded it. He should be the one, right? That's right. And yet, why isn't his chosen? No. Because... I mean, can... in fact, you don't know anything about his reading, by the way. In fact, if you mentioned any Muslim right now, do you know about the reading of Ibn Kathir? You know whom they're going to think about? Ibn Kathir the, of the 13th century, right. the thinking, commentator. He's thinking, they're, they're, they're thinking of the tafsir that's of right. Ibn Kathir. And that's why even Yasakadi had to remind people we're not talking about that. We're talking about the Qira'at of Ibn Kathir. That's from, right. From, that's right. Okay, so he is from the Hijaz area. So he would be from Mecca. This would be the Qureshi dialect. That's correct. If there was any dialect that would be... Uh, uh, that would be, let's just call it canonical. This should be it, if I'm, uh, if I'm getting it right. So this happens in 736 for him, and in 738, this continues. We then have, uh, we have Kasai, we have uh, Asim, we have Hamza, uh, we have Ibn Amr, so we're talking about seven now, yeah, and we have Nafis. Ibn Amr, and there's Ibn Amr. So Ibn Amr, and then also Nafi. So now we have seven. These are the seven, and right. they go from 736 all the way up to 905. Folks, pay attention to the dates. Look at the dates. You know, Muhammad Sorry, 736 died. 736 up to 805. Let me right. correct myself. You know, so, so about 200 years. Uh, you, you see what's going on here. That's fascinating, by the way. We're going to wrap up our uh, first uh, segment, but I want to remind people of something. 
you know, our dear brother has been investing a lot of time doing his historical criticism. Uh, he talks about the Petra. He talks about the Qibla. He talks about a number of things that contradict the traditional presuppositional view that we grown up as Muslim, we now grew up believing in. And all of a sudden now we're starting to look at the Qiraat and there is something suspicious going on here. They all lead also into that 200-year gap. And if we look at Ibn Amr, came from Damascus, which is the same area where we have Petra and we have also the Umayyads and so on and so forth. But that will be for a different show possibly or series. Are we going to continue or are we going to stop here for a while? Well, we are going to stop in the next two minutes. So any, anything you want okay, to so wrap up let's just look at them this. real quickly. Yeah. Nafi, Ibn Kathir, Abu Amr, Ibn Amir, As, Asim, Hamza, and Kisai. How many do I have? Seven. Seven. These are the seven that supposedly are the Holy Seven. Who chose these seven? Ibn Mujahid. And when did he die? 936. 300 plus years. 300 years after Muhammad, these seven are chosen. These are the seven that every Muslim talks about. Now, let me ask you something. Whenever you talk to a Muslim, and I'm going to ask you Muslims as a case, whenever you hear about these seven, you are always been told by your authorities that these seven are the same seven that Jibril was introduced to Muhammad before he died in 632. Yep, that's, uh, uh, folks, let me wrap up by saying, and we're closing uh, this segment, this is, by the way, part of my podcast that is also known as Let Us Reason. What uh, Jay is talking about is that Omar ibn al-Khattab was surprised to discover that the Quran was revealed by Jibreel to Muhammad in seven different modes, seven different dialects, if you wish, ahruf, because he caught someone in the mosque praying and reciting the Quran different than his recitation. And that uh, gentleman, Hisham, is basically from Quraysh, from the same tribe as Omar. To his surprise, the Prophet of Islam says, oh yeah, it was revealed to me in those seven different Ahruf. That's what Jay is talking about. So I'm going to leave you with this. We're going to take a few minutes pause. We'll interact with your comments. You're going to still see us live. But we will come back again and start official recording a couple of minutes from now for part two of this podcast, Let Us Reason. So thank you again for all of you to come in on the show in such a short notice. We apologize. We've been trying for two hours now to try to announce it to you. So if we are not successful to announce the next one, I just want you to be aware of this. Moderators, pay attention to this, please. 5 p.m. New York time, Eastern time. 5 p.m. New York time, Eastern time, which is um, considered to be, I believe, 10 o'clock in London, UK time. We will be doing a second also set of these live streams on podcast. So thank you for joining us. God bless you.